Seth Penalver was sitting in the back of a Florida courtroom last week, waiting for the start of the murder trial of his one-time friend, Pablo Ibar. He wasn't welcome. As soon as Seth was spotted, the judge ordered him out of the courtroom. As he left, Seth declared, they don't want the jury to see me. They don't want to know the truth. And so began the dramatic fifth and possibly final trial in the case that launched the felonious Florida podcast. What really is the truth behind the 1994 Casey's Nickelodeon murder, one of Florida's most infamous and extraordinary cases? Seth, once a suspect in the brutal home invasion murders of Butch Casey, Sharon Anderson, and Marie Rogers, was set free by a jury in 2012. He could be called as a witness in the trial of his original co-defendant, Pablo Ibar. Pablo was convicted and sent to death row for the murder, but won an appeal and is now facing a new jury, hoping to win his freedom, 24 years after his arrest. It's going to be a months-long and hard-fought courtroom battle, and we're there every day watching it unfold. Felonious Florida will bring you updates on social media and in a special bonus episode as the case finishes up. If you haven't listened yet, go back to our first four episodes and catch up. Start with the one titled The Executions and stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our show. While covering the case, there's another great show you should be listening to. It's been around since Seth's acquittal in 2012 and has probed hundreds of unsolved murders, mysteries, and intriguing stories. Generation Y will feed your obsession with true crime. Every week, our friends Justin and Aaron take a spellbinding, deep dive into the facts of a case. They bring you along as they examine evidence, discuss theories, and ultimately share their opinions on what may have happened. We appreciate crime shows that are well-researched, which is why we love Generation Y. They've gone deep on well-known cases like The Night Stalker, and the Golden State Killer, as well as more obscure, but no less fascinating crimes. In the following preview clip, Justin and Aaron give their take on the Menendez brothers, Lyle and Eric, who are currently serving life in prison for the infamous 1989 murder of their wealthy parents in Beverly Hills. While you're listening, subscribe to the Generation Y podcast and share it with your true crime-obsessed friends. We know you'll be hooked after hearing this preview. How you doing tonight, Aaron? I'm doing good, Justin. How are you? I'm doing all right. Tonight's case, we're looking at Beverly Hills, California. It's a very nice area, if you haven't been. August 20th, 1989. This is before we've heard a term called affluenza. Before O.J. Simpson. This has probably been up in our top 10 most requested cases, I think. Maybe top five, I don't know. What are we talking about tonight, Aaron? The Menendez Brothers case, 
which involved the 1989 slayings of Jose and Kitty Menendez, which were the parents of Lyle and Eric Menendez. Eric was 18 years old at the time, and Lyle was 21. The Menendez estate was valued at more than $14 million. On this night, Lyle and Eric, armed with shotguns, enter their parents' home. They point their weapons at their parents, who are sitting on the couch watching a James Bond movie, and they begin to shoot their parents with these pump-action shotguns. Yeah, 12-gauge shotguns. It is said that Jose didn't even know this happened. He died immediately. Now, their mother, Kitty, she actually jumped up and tried to run away after the initial volley of blasts coming at them. Uh, She was injured, but she tried to escape. And we know this because there was blood in the tread of her sneakers. So Lyle and Eric had to reload. I think they had to go back out to their car and grab more ammo and reload. They didn't have extra shotgun shells on them, so they had to go back out to the car and get more. To finish off their mother. Right, and I believe Eric handed the ammunition to his brother Lyle, who loaded the shotgun and then proceeded to go inside and finished off his own mother. So this isn't really a heat of the moment type deal. This isn't a uh, break. This is, they had shotguns and they went in and they slaughtered their parents. So after they shoot their parents, they end up calling 911. And you can find this phone call. It's readily available pretty much anywhere and any documentary about this uh, this case. And they tell the dispatchers that they have come home to find their parents have been murdered. Yeah, they had said they had gone out to the movies and then, as you said, had come home and found their parents murdered. So what movie did they say they went out and saw? Well, they had planned to go see Batman, but it was sold out. I mean, I don't know if you remember at the time, but that movie was huge when it came out. It was Tim Burton's Batman. This was 1989. So they went to another movie, which was a James Bond film titled License to Kill. We know they're lying to dispatchers. They're screaming and yelling and playing off that they found their parents. And it's just ironic that they would say that oh, we went to a Bond movie when that just happens to be the same movie that, not the same movie, but another James Bond movie that their parents are watching. Just a little connection there. I know you're a big Bond movie fan, so. We know that they planned to kill their parents, but at the time when police showed up, they didn't admit to killing their parents. No, they stick to their story that they find their parents when they came home. They were at this James Bond movie And they were at this movie and they even go so far as to insinuate that it might be a mob hit because of some of the wounds to their parents, which includes shooting them in the kneecap. And I guess that's a technique that it's claimed mobsters will use. You cap them. The police truly believe that what they're seeing is a cold-blooded murder 
And they believe these two very affluent, rich, everyone calls them the boys and kids, but they're adults. What the police won't do is do a uh, preemptive gunshot residue test on either one of their hands. They won't search their cars, which that's where they put the shotguns after they murdered their parents was in the trunk of their cars. Yeah, they actually ended up ditching those shotguns near Mulholland Drive. And they did that before they went to buy tickets at the movie theater. This is to try to establish their alibi of why they weren't home at the time of the murder. So this is around 10 o'clock at night. All we can say is the investigators did talk to them for hours, but you know, there's so much they missed. And I think it's because sometimes, and I'm sure anybody can make mistakes, but there was a lot of assuming going on. They assumed that these sons were very distraught by the murders of their parents and that they weren't likely to be involved. And I don't know if them being part of a wealthy family had something to do with that. I kind of want to say yes. Uh, I think that's a huge factor. This is Beverly Hills. They're living in a mansion with tennis courts out back. You change this situation. You put this murder anywhere else. I think I think the police are going to uh, be questioning the the guys, whoever finds the victims, and probably testing their hands, but who knows? The investigators spoke with neighbors, and they had reported hearing something around 10 p.m., bangs, but they thought it was just kids playing with fireworks or something. But that's about the time that this couple was murdered. Yeah. They probably don't know what gunfire sounds like. Jose had been shot five or six times with shotguns, and his wife, Kitty, had been shot about 10 times. Jose's unrecognizable. Uh, they pretty much blew his head off. Kitty, similar situation. It's gruesome. Yeah, Kitty was shot in the face. And so you look at this crime and you think, this is a crime of hatred or of payback. So when Lyle called the police, he called about 11.30 p.m., and as we already said, he sounded really upset. In fact, they had trouble understanding him because he was so upset on the phone. And we've talked before about 911 calls and how people sound and this and that. But this is a distraught person on the phone. I mean, if, if someone just played that call and didn't give me any other information. It, it sounds serious. It sounds legit. And it's hard to determine anything off a 911 call. Anyone that says, oh, I can tell they're lying, it's like, okay, whatever. In this case, we know the truth going in. So it's easy to dismantle his call, but he's a good actor. And guess what? Shooting your parents or killing somebody is a very high-stress situation. And you can use that to influence your heightened you know, state and cry and, and scream and yell. And it sounds and looks legit because you are distraught because you've just done something that's terrible. There were a couple of detectives assigned to this case. Unfortunately for them, this whole mob hit angle didn't really work. They couldn't find any way to establish that there was a connection here other than 
it does look like it could have been a mob hit. That was just a preview. To listen to the rest of this episode, subscribe to Generation Y on Apple Podcasts today.